morning to you. It is great to see all of you, and we're glad to have some visitors with us, and we're delighted that you're here. And as Blaine said, stick around, let us greet you and get to know you, and welcome you back any, any time. I want to go back to the Old Testament for a moment and then bring us into the New. Um, about a time in the history of Judah, it was not a good time for them. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, it tells us about a lost book that was discovered. And the setting was that um, Judah, Israel, had gone into idolatry. Even in the temple uh, that Solomon had built, there were uh, images and pagan priests working in this temple. And so the land was filled with, with these uh, idolatrous practices and these images. When there was a young boy, eight years old, that came to the throne, a descendant of David. His name, Josiah. Josiah longed and dedicated himself to walking in the ways of his forefather, David. And he wanted to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. And so he began at age 20 to clear out Jerusalem and Judah of all idolatrous practices, breaking down the images, grinding them up, and, and putting the, the, the leftovers on the graves of those who had worshipped those false images. He was literally cleaning house, cleaning house. And as the temple was being purged of this idolatry and everything associated with it, there was a book that was found, a book that had been missing. And because this particular book was missing, that's why sin had crept into the land. That's why these pagan practices had overtaken even the temple of God. That book was the book of the law, the law of Moses. It had been lost. And because of that, they had just delved into paganism and sin and sin but now that book is rediscovered and Hilkiah uh, verse 15 of 2nd Chronicles 34 Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan it makes the book makes its way to Josiah and he reads it has it read and then he in repentance tore his robe and he's ashamed of how his people has neglected the book of the law of God and has delved into, into sin. And so he calls the people together and he has, he has the book read. And this is what, what he does. This is verse 29 beginning in Second Chronicles 34. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord with, with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers." 
Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. What a commendation. All his days, as long as Josiah was king, his country followed him as he sought to follow God. But the book, the, their Bible, if you will, had been lost. And because of that, they had become lost. And I share this, this account from the Old Testament to remind us the importance of this book that we have. May it never be lost because if we lose sight of this book, if we, if we let it just stay on our shelves and gather dust and, and aren't studying it diligently and seeking to apply it, then we'll become just as lost as the people of Judah were that day. One of the themes that Tucker and I have prayerfully planned for this year are to spend some, some sermon times on, on doctrine, on basic Bible doctrines. And our intent is that we'll go back to the book and, and revisit these, the teachings of, of the Bible so as to keep us in tune with what God's Word says and keep this book as, as our guide. You see, doctrine matters. Now, the word doctrine sometimes has the reputation of being just a cold set of propositions that are debated by scholars. But when you see the word doctrine, when you think of the word doctrine, think of the word teaching, because that's what it is. It's teaching. Children born into the world, how much teaching do they need? And the answer is obvious. That's our first responsibility as parents, is to, to teach our children. Why? Because there's so many voices out in the world and so many voices that would lead people away from God that we want to be diligent about teaching our children about God and His Word and the importance of following Him. It's the same goes with, with the church. We have to be in tune with the teaching of God through His Word. And so we're devoting some time especially to looking at the doctrines, the teachings of, of the Bible. There was a church sign that contained the following words, love God, love others, the rest is doctrine. And I'm afraid what was meant by this sign is love God, love others. Nothing wrong with that. Those are the two greatest, foremost commandments, right? Love God and love others. The rest, I'm going to add a word that I think would would indicate the, the meaning behind it. The rest is just doctrine. And, and the intent, I'm afraid, was to minimize the rest. Not taking any way from the two first and foremost commandments, but this is a misrepresentation of, of what, how we need to approach the Bible. We need to love the doctrine, the teaching that God gives us through His Word as well. In fact, we can't love God and love others without that love of, of His teaching. Jesus said this, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. And if doctrine wasn't important, why would Jesus make sure that everybody understood that what he was teaching was not from him, but it was from God? And, and because it's from God, he's underscoring the importance. You need to hear this. You need to understand this. And you need to apply this. 
So doctrine matters. And I want to take us to a few verses. I love primarily to stay in one particular text. But what I'm going to do is is take you on a journey where the word doctrine is used in Scripture to see why is doctrine, why is this teaching important. And here are some verses that contain this word doctrine. Look with me to Romans 6, 17 and 18, which teaches us that obeying the right doctrine frees us from sin. But God bethink that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that form of teaching to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. How important is doctrine? Paul is writing to Christians and he said, you obey that form of doctrine and it freed you from sin. That's how important that doctrine is. Contextually, the doctrine of which Paul speaks is primarily the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he talks earlier in that chapter, Romans chapter 6, about those who had been baptized into Christ, had had died and had been raised to walk in newness of life. Just like Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, they had obeyed a form of that doctrine through their death to sin, being buried with him in baptism, and raised to walk in newness of life. And because they had obeyed that teaching, they had been set free from sin. How important is doctrine? It sets us free from sin. Number two, teaching the wrong doctrine invalidates our worship. Jesus said this, Matthew 15, These people draw near to me with their mouth. He's quoting from Isaiah. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Notice Jesus says there's two things that make our worship vain. Number one, when our heart isn't in it. When our heart isn't in it. When we just go through the motions and our heart isn't in tune with what we're doing, even this morning in worship to God, if our heart isn't in it, it's vain, it's empty, it's futile. But also, Jesus says, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He's saying, Following the commandments of men instead of the the doctrine, the teaching of God makes our worship vain. That's how important doctrine is. Number three, following the wrong doctrine, the wrong teaching results in departing from the faith. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Demonical doctrines, uh, referring to teachings that were not from God, that could find their origin in the demons and, and from Satan himself. But people had, had succumbed to those teachings and were following them and as a result had departed from the faith. They had departed from God and thus they were lost. How important is doctrine? Following the wrong doctrine results in departing from the faith. Number four. The early church continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. That's Acts 2, 42. And this is at the birth of the church. The church had been in in the eternal plan of God. 
And now Acts chapter 2, it comes to fruition. And so here are 3,000 that day that obey the gospel, that obey that form of doctrine, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They're baptized into Christ. Their sins are washed away. They're forgiven, Acts 2.38. And they are added to the family of God. And so now they're new Christians. They've been added to the family of God. So what do they do now? Well, four things are mentioned in verse 42, but the first of which is they devoted themselves, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They kept studying what the apostles were teaching and devoted their lives to studying it and to applying it. That's how important doctrine is. Number five, whoever does not stick with the doctrine of Christ does not have God. That's how important doctrine is. 2 John 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. So it's possible not to abide in the doctrine of Christ, and therefore it's possible for even one who professes faith in God not to have God. And it's all a matter of if you are doing and abiding, uh, continuing in the doctrine of Christ. Whoever... He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And finally, why is it doctrine? Why is teaching so important? Because the right doctrine will save. That's what it all boils down to. The right teaching will save. Paul is writing to Timothy, a young preacher, encouraging him. And he tells him this, Take heed to yourself. And to the doctrine, to the teaching. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I take that personally as a young preacher. I'm just seeing what kind of reaction I'd get to that. I take that personally as a preacher. That not only must I teach the right doctrine. But I've got to live that doctrine. I've got to personally apply it. Because in so doing, I can be saved. And those who hear the right doctrine uh, from, this, from this pulpit. Folks, the right doctrine will save. To sum it up, following the right doctrine frees us from sin. But having the wrong doctrine makes our worship useless. Following the wrong doctrine causes us to depart from the faith. That's why the early Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. If we don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, we don't have God. And only the right doctrine will save us. Do I need to cite any more passages that underscore the importance of having the right doctrine, the right teaching? So it's our burden to go to the scriptures and discover the doctrine, the teaching that God gives us and devote ourselves to living accordingly. Why do we need doctrine? Why is it that the early Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine? Let me share some practical reasons why we need teaching and the right teaching so desperately. Number one is because we need guidance. We desperately need guidance. Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man who walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, verse 23. Tucker and I were visiting Tom Busby across the bay. Tom is in a nursing home under hospice care. 
And uh, we weren't sure which door to go into. And I admitted to Tucker, Tucker, I have uh, come to the conclusion that I've got to break away from the pattern that is identified with men. I'm going to ask directions. I'm going to ask directions. And it's taken me that long to realize the way of man is not in himself. And it applies much more than finding a, an entry to a building. It has everything to navigating our way through life. We need direction. We need God's direction to navigate our way through life. So the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when we open up the Bible, we need to understand this is God's guide for us. And we desperately need his direction. Not only that, not only for our direction, but the doctrine, the teaching of the scriptures is so important. This is the way we come to know God. This is the way we come to know who God is. There's things in nature that tell us a lot about God. The scriptures acknowledge this. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. And all of us, I'm sure, think of places where we've been in nature. I've seen some of you through Facebook have gone out to the mountains out west. That's on my bucket list. Never been out to Colorado and Wyoming, other places out west. But I look forward to that opportunity, Lord willing. Because even when I go to the smaller mountains in Tennessee, I want to climb to the highest point possible to gain that vantage point. Because then I see in a profound way the glory of God. For others of you, it, it, you experience that sense when you're on the beach. And it may be in your own backyard with the flowers that, that grow in the spring. Wherever it is, there's a lot that, that God's creation tells us about God. But cre the creation of God doesn't tell us who God is. It tells us some things about God, His power. Or as Romans 1 verse 20 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being with, understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Nature can tell us some things about God, but it doesn't tell us who God is. It's only when God has spoken that He reveals who He is. And He speaks, and His words are recorded in his word. So that same psalm that says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, the skies show his handiwork, that same psalm goes on to say, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And there are other references from verse 7 on that speak about the word of God and the, and the instruction that it gives. But also, how through his word, God reveals who he is, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's loving, that he's compassionate. All those wonderful things we learn about God from his word. But we also need the doctrine, the teaching of the word to know the will of God. Not only to know who God is, but we can't look at nature and understand what his will for us is. Only through the instruction that he's given us. Just like 
in Josiah's day, they had lost their way because they had lost the book. They had lost God's word. But when they discovered it and then devoted themselves to keeping it, then they found the will of God. It was revealed to them. The same thing happens when we look into the book and discover the will of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I think I first read it years ago, Cecil May and Preacher Talk, I think is where I first saw it. But someone has broken down this verse in this fashion to underscore the importance of God's word. The word of God is profitable for what's right, for doctrine. How do you know what's right? That's what God's word is for. God's word is profitable for what's wrong, for reproof. God's word corrects us when we are on the wrong path. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for getting right, for correction. When we're, again, headed in the wrong way and we need to change course, that's the purpose of God's word to redirect us into his will. It's also profitable for staying right, for instruction in righteousness. That's why the early Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the apostles' teaching. So they not only had been made right through Jesus in a right relationship with God, but now they're on the path of staying right in following and walking in the light of, the, of his word so that the blood of Jesus would continue to cleanse them from sin. For what's right, for what's wrong, for getting right, for staying right, and for equipping us to do what's right. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's how we know the will of God. He has revealed it through his word. It's also important. The word is important. The doctrine is important to help us grow in our faith. Finish this verse for me. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith is built up when we devote ourselves to the study and application of His Word to, to our lives. So, doctrine. It's not a cold set of propositions that are debated by, by scholars. It's teaching. It's teaching that we desperately need because the way of man is not in himself. But God not only has revealed himself through his creation, but also especially has revealed who he is and what he wants from us through his word. May this word never be lost. May it always be the, 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 pin, the pinpoint of our lives. This is, the, this is our guide for life. This is what we're devoted to doing. Let's study God's word deeply and then do it. Because James remind us, reminds us that we must be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. James 1, 22. Verse 23 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what, what kind of man he was. But... He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, 
is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Which one? The one who looks into the law, continues in it, lives it. This one will be blessed in what he does. You see, healthy doctrine, far from being a cold set of propositions, is actually God's gracious means of letting his people learn and live and share his truth. But I want to end with this one. I read uh, this past week about Carl Barth. Carl Barth. And the writer uh, that was writing about Carl Barth, not, not much information about him, he did ascribe this, this commendation to him that this writer considered him to be the greatest theologian of the 20th century. I don't know about that. I'd have to read all the writings of Karl Barth. But if I were to do that, it would take me a long time because he has a 12-volume work called Church Dogmatics that consists of over 10,000 pages, 10,000 pages of systematic theology. That'll take me a while, won't it? But one time, Dr. Barth was asked by one of his students, <laughs> and I just cringe at this question. But he said, um, Dr. Barth, you've written extensively on every aspect of theology and church history. I'm wondering if you could sum it all up in a short sentence or two. 10,000 pages. Sum it up in a sentence or two. Well, doc, Dr. Barth took the question personally and he thought a little bit. And he gave this response. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. In our pursuit of wanting the right teaching from the scripture, let's never lose sight of that greatest truth that we've learned to sing from, from a child. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. I hope that you know that truth and I've hoped, I hope that you've embraced that truth. And the way that we embrace that truth and that truth becomes life-changing for us is that when we grow old enough to understand that in sin, we're separated from God, but through Jesus, we can be reconciled to Him. And the way of reconciliation is to place our faith and trust in Jesus and what He's done for us. He died for our sins on the cross. And to turn from our sin and turn to following Him as a way of life, the Bible calls that repentance. And to be baptized into Christ, to obey that form of doctrine that sets us free from sin. And when we do that, our sins, by the authority of God's word, are washed away. We're added to the family of God. We begin our journey of following Jesus as a way of life. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the Bible tells us how to respond. That even when we as children of God, we lose sight of the teaching. And we stray off in other directions. We become idolatrous that we can come back home. God loves us that much. 
when we leave that idolatry, when we recommit our lives to following Jesus and we ask God to forgive us. If you are ready to obey that form of doctrine that frees you from sin this morning, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, or if you desire the prayers of the church this morning, we hope that you'll come right now as, as we stand and sing.